earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today's part six in our This Means War series. We'll be continuing our sober look at spiritual warfare and developing a spiritual warfare primer. And keep in mind, the podcasts are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. I've given today's part six an interesting title, How Lovely Are Your Feet? Once again, we'll continue expanding on the believer's weaponry in Ephesians 6, as elaborated on by the Apostle Paul, and what he refers to as feet fitted with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it's no wonder that the KJV says, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The word shod is a 14th century term, and its derivative of shoe, referring to wearing footgear of a particular or special kind. It's a rather interesting phrase Paul uses, and we could roll right past it because it sounds kind of odd, especially for our way of thinking in the 21st century. Several English translations make a valiant effort to help us grasp what's being said here. For instance, one translation says, Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Another says, Having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Interestingly, the original 1965 edition of the Amplified Bible says, having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news. A more modern language translation has put on your shoes so that you are ready to spread the good news that gives peace. Well, friends, before we dig into the text itself a little further, I'd like to share a true story about an elderly woman badly crippled by arthritis who was visited by a friend who asked her rather bluntly but kindly, Are you suffering much? The elderly woman replied, Yes, but there's no nails here, pointing to her hands. She continued, He had the nails, but I have the peace. Then she pointed to her head and said, There's no thorns here. He had the thorns, but I have the peace. Then she touched her side and remarked, There's no spear here. He had the spear, but I have the peace. Friends, what amazes me about that woman's response is that she truly understood how to differentiate between the peace of circumstances versus the peace of Christ. 
And lest we make mistakenly think she was referring to the peace or comfort in her pain, let me correct our thinking here. She was clearly referring to the peace of being reconciled in her relationship with Christ, the relationship that brought her salvation. Look at the three things she referred to, the nails, the crown of thorns, and the spear. The nails alone take us back to the crucifixion, the first century execution method for criminals, but a death that purchased for us redemption and forgiveness for our sins. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. The peace of circumstances is definitely something we appreciate and enjoy, right? But the peace of circumstances is unreliable and often short-lived. I'll bet you've discovered that, haven't you? I sure have. And I'll even bet that you've also discovered firsthand that the only reliable and long-lasting peace is the peace of God. In other words, the peace that Christ brought us and the relational peace. In other words, reconciliation with God that now the Holy Spirit affirms. Friends, another story I'd like to share with you is about Gustav Valbert, a Russian who published his findings in the Moscow Gazette many years ago. I can't believe that someone actually took the time to figure all this out. Valbert picked a 3,357-year time span from 1496 B.C. to the year 1861. He calculated that during those years there were 227 years of peace and 3,130 years of war. That roughly translates to 13 years of war for every one year of peace. We could also look at it this way. In just about over 3,300 years of recorded world history, the world has only been at peace 8% of the time. During this same time span, Valbert also noticed that more than 8,000 peace treaties were signed and meant to remain in force, but his research forced him to conclude that, sadly, the average time these treaties lasted was only two years. And additionally, just within the last 300 years, there have been 286 wars in Europe alone. Friends, look at what we're facing right now. The war on terror seems relentless. Almost as relentless as the spiritual war being fought by the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, as Ephesians 6 reminds us. My point here, friends, is that anyone who is counting on or trusting in circumstantial peace to carry them through life has the odds stacked against them big time. That's why it's extremely important we understand biblical peace, what it is and how we obtain it. And friends, it's my hope that now more than ever, we'll see how critical it is that we share the gospel of peace with a world where true and lasting peace is nothing more than a pipe dream, an illusion. That's why I'm sharing Ephesians 6 with you and why the subject of spiritual warfare is so important at this time. 
But before we read Ephesians six ten through 20, as I've been doing in each installment, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're not in your car, but at home or maybe listening with a friend, I invite you to take off your shoes or whatever you're wearing on your feet, sneakers, sandals, slippers, whatever. Take them off in preparation for the teaching that's going to follow. Remember now, we're not just evaluating parts, but parts of a whole. The entire warfare wardrobe, as I call it, must be worn in its entirety. One piece will not suffice. Two pieces or anything short of the whole will not serve its purpose. So, friends, here we go. Here's Ephesians six ten through 20, and each time I'm reading from a different and fresh translation. In conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless strength. Put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's craftiness. For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It's against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Therefore you must wear the whole armor of God, that you may be able to resist evil in its day of power, and that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. Take your stand, then, with truth as your belt, integrity as your breastplate, the gospel of peace firmly on your feet, salvation as your helmet, and in your hand the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Above all, be sure you take as your shield faith, for it can quench every burning missile that enemy hurls at you. In all your petitions, pray at all times with every kind of spiritual prayer, keeping alert and persistent as you pray for all Christ's men and women. And pray for me too, that I may be able to speak the message here boldly, to make known the secret of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak out about it, as is my plain and obvious duty." Friends, the first thing I want us all to see is something that's not easily noticeable in our English translations. In fact, only two English translations bring out the tenses of the original Greek, the NAS and the ESV. The NAS says for verses 14 and 15, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So today, friends, we're unpacking the third of the first three pieces of armor. And these three are grouped together by using the tense brought out by the phrases, having girded, having put on, and having shod. In other words, friends, the assumption here is that we've already been doing these three things since becoming believers. The scriptures assume that we've already been, one, building a fortress of truth around our lives through growing in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is incarnate truth, the living word, as John fourteen six reminds us, together with the written word of God, which is also truth, as John seventeen seventeen has told us. The written word of God is also living and active, as Hebrews four twelve has revealed. 
and two, with the breastplate of righteousness already in place around our chest, we're growing in righteousness or sanctification or holiness. And let's just refresh ourselves with what this means. In the context of spiritual warfare, it refers to our heart and our emotions being perfectly guarded and adequately protected against attacks from demonic forces. Forces that oppose us at every turn and are unrelenting, attempting and wooing us to compromise God's moral standards that are clearly revealed in his word. It also includes the growing realization that we do not stand on our own merits. We never did. When we came to Christ, we quit trying to be good enough to please God. We came on his merits, on the ground of his righteousness, both the righteousness he imputes and the righteousness he imparts to us. Now, let me just pause here for a moment and clarify what I mean here. We evangelical Christians have inherited from the Protestant Reformation an emphasis on imputed righteousness, almost to the exclusion of the notion of imparted righteousness. From this, we've passed down the idea that God sees us through blood-stained glasses. In other words, when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see our sins, but sees us covered in his blood. Sort of like a strawberry-dipped ice cream cone, the blood of Christ functions like the strawberry dip that hardens around the ice cream. When we look at the ice cream, all we see is the strawberry dip. Sadly for many of us from this notion, we think we don't have to change our lives at all. In other words, the ice cream inside doesn't have to change because we're covered in the blood. Therefore, this foreign righteousness we've inherited, the dip, has been sort of attached to us, and now all God sees is his children dipped in Christ's blood. But friends, this is only half the truth. It must be balanced by the other half and not divorced from it. And the other biblically equal half of the truth is that God also imparts his righteousness to us. The scriptures make it abundantly clear, friends, that we are to grow and increase in actual personal holy behavior the longer we know Jesus. Picture this for a moment. Let's take the vanilla ice cream and combine it with strawberry syrup in a blender. What happens when we turn the blender on? The syrup and the ice cream now blend together, right? The ice cream is pink now because the syrup has become part of the ice cream. They are no longer separated. The syrup has been imparted to the ice cream. So, friends, my take on this is that this is how God's holiness works in our lives. The longer we abide with or in Christ, in other words, the longer we are in our relationship with him, the more Christ's righteous life should be seen in and through us. Friends, please take your hooks out of Romans 7, thinking that this is supposed to represent the normal Christian life. It isn't. Put your hooks in Romans 6 and 8. Romans 6 and 8, together with Ephesians 4 and 5, in my estimation, more accurately and correctly represent the normal Christian life. And this is directly tied in with spiritual warfare that Ephesians 6 talks about. Putting on the armor of God is literally putting on Christ himself. Romans 13 reminds us in putting on the armor of light, 
We're clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in clothing ourselves with Jesus or putting on Jesus, we put off the old self and its behavior and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, as Ephesians 4, and through 24 tell us. Well, third and lastly, we should already have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And here, friends, the second thing I want us to notice is that verse 15 is only part of the sentence that begins at verse 14, which opens with, Stand firm. By the way, stand or stand firm is sprinkled throughout the verses between verse 10 and verse 20. Let's briefly review them. Verse 11, take your stand. Verse 13, stand your ground. Verse 13 again, stand. And verse 14, stand firm then. We could actually read verse 14 this way. Stand firm then and go directly to verse 15 with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And Roman military custom greatly aids us in understanding just what this means. First century soldiers wore special issue sandals that were studded with iron or steel spikes. Over the sandal straps, shin guards were buckled, called greaves, that usually went from the ankle up to the knees. This then protected the lower legs and feet. This way, soldiers could stand their ground and advance in hand-to-hand combat, knowing their footing was secure. Finally, the third thing I want us to notice, friends, is that the gospel of peace stands smack in the middle of war, a spiritual war. It's not even a stretch to say that the gospel of peace is carried by feet ready for war. Isn't it interesting that Christians are called to peace, yet biblical peace doesn't operate in a vacuum? Biblical peace operates in the midst of war. We've had presidents that declared war on terror. Jesus has declared war on Satan and his demonic armies. In Matthew 16:18, Jesus declared, I will build my church meaning my community, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. We tend to picture Christian soldiers leaning backwards with these gates pressing against us, trying to hold us down or at bay. But this is not the picture painted by Jesus. The picture Jesus paints is the Christian soldier advancing against the gates and pushing the devil and his armies down. Because, friends, We're on the offensive, or we're supposed to be. We're to be on the offensive with the gospel of peace. Almost sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Well, now's the perfect time to finally define biblical peace, what it is and how we obtain it. Sometimes I like to teach what something is not to help us understand what it is. Biblical peace is not global peace. Biblical peace is not political peace. Biblical peace is not military peace, and biblical peace is not necessarily circumstantial peace. So then, just what is biblical peace? Biblical peace is the reestablishment of harmony between a righteous and holy God and fallen, sinful, erring human beings. Biblical peace just happens to be uniquely expressed in the words of the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing! 
peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And this reconciliation was made possible by Christ shedding his blood by dying on the cross and then raising from the dead, thereby defeating Satan and his demonic forces. Biblical peace brings with it internal calmness, stability, and a sense of security based solely on the fact that the God of the universe loves us and holds us safely and securely in his hands. Biblical peace then becomes something that can be experienced internally despite external circumstances that may be raging out of control. Friends, the message custom-tailored for this generation in history is this. First, we can have peace with God, according to Romans 5, 1 and 2. Second, we can have the peace of God, according to Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And third, we can have peace with other people, according to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. This third point is behind the intent of another Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, in verse 3. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. You see, friends, the gospel is neither a discussion or a debate. It's an announcement. Again, this announcement was made by a choir of angels on the night Jesus was born. They sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, on whom his favor rests, according to Luke chapter 2. By the way, that favor is bestowed on those who recognize why Jesus was born in the first place. And this why came in the form of another announcement by an angel to Joseph, Mary's fiancé, in Matthew one twenty-one, And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The late evangelist Billy Graham once said, in Christ we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of the confusions, the bewilderments, and the perplexities of this life. The storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. We have found peace at last. So, friends, the challenge before us remains our title for today. How lovely are your feet? I believe Paul's words in Ephesians 6.15 were borrowed from Isaiah 52.7, which says, how beautiful or how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So let me ask, how are we doing? How lovely are our feet? Are we ready at all times to wage war against the enemy and his forces and bring the gospel of peace to those around us? In other words, are our shoes fitted with the readiness or preparedness of the gospel of peace? Friends, I remember as a kid belonging to the Boy Scouts, learning the Boy Scout motto, Be Prepared. Friends, here are some reflections on the gospel of peace from Christ followers, past and present. Francois Fenelon, who lived in the mid-1600s into the early 1700s, said, Peace does not dwell in outward things, but within the soul. We may preserve it in the midst of the bitter pains of our, if, if our will remains firm and submissive 
Peace in this life springs from acquiescence, not in any exemption from suffering. Dwight L. Moody, who lived in the 1800s, said, A great many people are trying to make peace, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. Finally, Francis J. Roberts, who died in 2009, said, Finding God, you have no need to seek peace, for he himself is your peace. This last quote is virtually word for word what Ephesians 2.14 says, For he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, that is, Jews and Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I can see that we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback and what these programs mean or have meant to you. A listener recently wrote in in regarding part three in this series, Are We Dressed to Kill? with May We Always Be Prepared for the Work to Be Done. I love the analogy of the toolbox. We put on the armor and go forth to fight the battle. Well, thank you for that encouraging feedback. And remember, friends, podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Feel free to share these podcasts with family or friends who may be touched, blessed, or even challenged by these teachings. And please keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you, please become part of the support team, especially now during these challenging economic times. Your faithful support helps keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 